we're currently in the middle of a series on what Jesus has to say about a number of different things. Uh, and this morning we're going to dig into something new again. It's interesting though, uh, just looking back um, with the holiday period, some of you might have missed this, but we've run three, three of these uh, topics so far. Piet started by talking about what Jesus had to say about worry. He then followed that up with a message about uh, not being afraid, and most recently, he talked about what Jesus has to say to us through the Gospels. And then Matt uh, Hosier, who was here, I think, uh, two weekends ago, spoke to us about, um, he gave us a message out of Acts where he said, Lord, do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Looking at what happened in Acts and reminding us that what happened in Acts is, here for, is just as much here for, for us today and tomorrow as it was 2,000 years ago. So this morning... We're going to have a look at what Jesus has to say about treasure, um, which is probably something you weren't expecting. I noticed in one of the songs there was a, a line where we sang something about treasure, and uh, it's, it's always interesting to me. Before we turn to the scripture, just before and get into the topic, just think back to when you were a child, and what, what did treasure mean to you? It might, might just be helpful to get your minds into that mode. I was thinking, Caitlin had her seventh birthday this week, and we got her this little gift. And I hadn't realized exactly what it was until I was sitting in my office trying to work and I heard that tack, tack, tack going on. But the gift was a dinosaur skeleton that had been set in plaster of Paris with a little hammer and chisel. And she has been chiseling those bones since Wednesday and she still hasn't got them all out of the little slab of plaster of Paris. But this is like this little treasure hidden in the midst of this plaster of Paris and it has gripped her and she gets excited every time she finds a bone. And then the cats find the bone and they start knocking it around the floor. But it's amazing to watch a small child uh, with something that they really think is valuable, that they consider to be treasure. And I think sometimes as adults, we lose that sense of adventure, that sense of excitement about what treasure is. You know, as kids, we think about pirates and treasure. You know? But what is your treasure? If you think back to a child and then think today, like, what do I really treasure? It's a good place for us to start this morning. Just start to allow your mind to drift and say, what's important to me? You know, sometimes you could possibly equate treasure with pleasure. What gives you joy? What is it that you go after that really fulfills you, that really gives you excitement? So if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read from, verses 19, from verse 19 to 21. So Jesus says to the people, Verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So to put this into a little bit of context within the series, and this wasn't planned, um, but it just struck me as I was thinking about what Peter has spoken about. We started first um, talking about worry, and these verses actually um, precede um, Matthew's account of Jesus speaking about worry. Peter spoke at length about worry. If you want to listen to it, it's on the website. I'm not going to go over the topic again, um, but it is interesting that Jesus precedes this with a, a discussion about worry. Second, in Luke's account of the same event in chapter 12, he brings with this, uh, begins his account with this encouragement in verse 32 of chapter 12. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So, 
We started off with worry four weeks ago. Second one was about fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because your Father has given you the kingdom. Again, you can listen to the message on the church website. And then third, if we're wanting to put into practice what we're hearing, we need to have faith and believe. And again, last week when Pierre talked about what Jesus had to say to us through the Gospels, he spoke about faith and belief, mixing faith with belief. So it's interesting when you think about those three, and then you think about what we're going to learn now. Jesus is basically saying, do not worry, do not be afraid, and believe that I am who I am. Within that context, he talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we're going to explore a little bit about how that statement of his should help us to put into practice the previous three messages that we heard uh, that Peter's preached. So if we turn to this morning's focus, what is Jesus encouraging us to do? He's encouraging us to live our lives with a kingdom mindset. He's trying to remind us, he's wanting us to understand that our earthly lives are temporary, that the things that we have in this life, they spoil, they fade. And as you often see in the movies, you often hear people say, you can't take it with you. You just can't take it with you. I'm not standing here this morning as well, just to, just to be clear, to say that having stuff in this lifetime and having good experiences in this lifetime is a bad thing. Just, just to be clear, what Jesus is talking about is perspective on what's more important and getting the balance right uh, in, in our lives. He's pointing to, out to us that as Christians, the choices we make today about how we use our lives and everything that he's given us in these lives, be it your family, your financial assets, your home, your friendships, your relationships, whatever it might be, they count, and they count for eternity. You know, we often get caught up in um, the topic of grace, and yes, we are saved by grace. We're saved through, through faith by grace, not by works, but it's God's gift to us. You know, we're saved through the righteousness of Jesus. The, the point here is not about a works-based salvation. This is about saying for Christians, once you're saved, how you live your life still counts. And there are eternal consequences and benefits for that. So I think Jesus is teaching us to be fully dependent on God here. He's encouraging us. We really need to rely on God for everything. He wants us to be rich towards God. A few months back, I, I, I used the parable of the rich young man. Um, uh, sorry, not the rich young man, the man with the barns who'd filled his barns with the bumper harvest. And Jesus says, you foolish man, this very night your life will be required of you. Uh, this is how it will be for those who are not rich towards God. He's warning us, encouraging us to use what we have to build the kingdom. In return, he's promising us that when we live our lives in this way, we are storing up for ourselves treasure that will never spoil and fade. So I want to look initially at what I've called the folly of temporary treasure accumulation. Um, the folly of temporary treasure accumulation. If you want to put that in different words... The foolishness of accumulating stuff in this lifetime that you can't take with you into the next. And I was reminded um, when preparing the message of something I'd read a couple of months back. I spent some time going through Ecclesiastes. You're probably going, oh, gee, that must have been depressing because everything's meaningless. Um, but it's a really, really instructive book. Remember, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, so we can learn from everything. But in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 18 and 19... We read this, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, 
yet they will have control over all the fruits of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Isn't that interesting? I hadn't actually, I spent probably a month going through this book and that really didn't jump out to me until yesterday. Verse 19, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish? Yet they will have control over all the fruits of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. When we labor and strive to accumulate material wealth and accumulate, if you like, temporary treasure, and we store it up beyond what we really need, when we, when we hold on to stuff that we don't need, what the writer here is saying is, remember when you die, you're going to give it to others. You're going to leave it behind to others. And you see some people, when they die, they give it to some pet charity. Other people give it to their kids. Some people give it to um, all sorts of different causes. But the point is, it's going to somebody else. We, t we receive no eternal credit for this earthly treasure. It doesn't kind of, we don't have like a, it's not in our heavenly bank account. It's basically left behind. The moths get it, the rats get it, the mice get it. Um, it might even go off to someone who's going to use it foolishly. You know, I've seen many instances of people who've had inheritances from their parents and they've squandered the money that was left behind. And you sit there and you look at that and you go, wow, the parents worked so hard, accumulated all of this, made all these sacrifices, and then uh, left it to the kids who didn't. Um, use it properly. Candace and I used to joke with her late father before he died. We, we kept in encouraging him to join the ski club. Spend the kids inheritance club. He said, spend it. Don't leave it for us. Enjoy your life. Use what you have and bless yourself. Bless others with it, but don't hoard it up because you feel like you've got to leave us something. It's an interesting concept. I don't think you can say too much beyond what the writer in Ecclesiastes has said here about it. For me, it's, it was quite sobering to have a, have a look at that. But the, the link that this then kicks into is, is I started to ask myself the question, why do we get so caught up uh, in this lifetime with accumulating temporary treasure? Why do we feel the need to store so much up? You know, when you, I think I spoke, I can't remember, I think it was November last year when we spoke about the poor and we looked at those statistics about what it meant to be wealthy in the world's eyes. And uh, Credit Suisse, reputable bank, Swiss Bank did the study. And if you recall, I gave you guys the numbers. I said, if you are in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world, and yes, there are coefficients you need to adjust numbers for because of cost of living and all those sorts of wonderful things, but it's still instructive. To get into the top 10%, your net asset value needs to be $93,000. So if you have $93,000 net assets on your personal balance sheet, you're already in the top 10% of the world's population. The 50% mark is $5,000, $4,500. And the 1% mark you enter into at about $870,000, give or take. Just to contextualize what maybe you is a helpful number to think about, what does over-accumulation mean? But it's interesting, I, th I started to wonder, why do we feel the need, and I'm speaking to myself in the same, in the same breath, trust me, I, you know, we think about this often, particularly guys who are fin financially minded like me. Uh, my job is in finance, and you think about financial things often. And I think it's because we worry. We're worrying about tomorrow. We're sitting there going like, okay, how do I provide for the kids' education? I've got to clothe the children. Okay, so Caitlin's going to be 18 when I'm 57. So, you know, you can kind of see the, how, how this works. 
you know, Nick and I have the odd laugh together because he has a spreadsheet, I've got a spreadsheet. Um, we don't look at each other's spreadsheets, but we each, we, we think about these things and we, we talk about them and, you know, I remember working with a guy, he said, I've got a number. I said, what do you mean you've got a number? He says, I've got a number when enough's enough and that's when I'm going to stop working like this. It but it's interesting, we all are worrying about tomorrow. I think the accumulation of, and, and the putting our hope in earthly treasures in part, is driven by the fact that we are worried about tomorrow. We're worrying about providing for our kids. If we're accumulating to leave them an inheritance, we're worrying about, well, what if they don't have a job as good as I had? You know, I said to Kezia, my eldest daughter, um, earlier this week, uh, they'd, um, they'd damaged something at home accidentally. And we had an interesting conversation around that because the conversation was, you never know, one of the reasons you need to look after stuff is because God's given it to you. He's blessed you with it and you shouldn't waste it. But don't also assume that you are going to be in a position where you can just replace everything that you break. Take care of what you have. But thinking differently, if you break stuff and you have to replace it, that's something that you could have invested in the kingdom instead of investing in what you broke. So we just had this interesting discussion around how to use what you have and how to take care of what God's given you within a wider context of wanting to be um, wise, but also investing into the kingdom of heaven. So I was reminded what Jesus had to say about worry, and Piet preached on, on this, but I'll read the scripture. He just says this in Matthew 6, verses 26 to 30. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the punchline, you of little faith. And it's interesting because that then ties us back from the worry into the faith, which is what Pierre talked about last week, mixing faith with belief in terms of who Jesus says he is, believing that he is who he says he is. Jesus is pointing out to us we shouldn't worry. Why? Because we are precious to the Father, and he's reminding us you can depend on the Father. If he provides for the birds of the air, and you're so much more valuable than them, he will provide for you. Now, he's not, again, giving you license to go and be financially reckless and just say, I'm going to spend everything I have. I'm not going to provide for my retirement. Again, he's talking about perspective. Talking about, do you have the right perspective? Do you believe this morning? Do you really believe this morning that promise that the Father will clothe you, the Father will feed you, the Father will provide for you, regardless of where you get to? You know, I, I believe that. I still struggle to put that into action, but I do believe that with all of my heart. You know, when Candace fell ill, I've told the story before, about six, seven years ago, I remember sitting on my couch at home one night. Someone else had the kids for the week. Candace was in hospital, and I was just talking to God very simply, and I said, Lord, if she goes, these little girls who are left behind with just a dad and no mom are your responsibility. You are their father first and foremost. I'm just entrusted to care for them and to bring them up 
in the ways of the Lord. But I believe that you will provide for us. But I reminded God, I said, you are responsible. You've said so. You've said you will care for us, and I trust you with that. So whatever happens, my life, the life of my wife, and the life of my children, all of those lives are in your hands. And that's, that's what Jesus is teaching about worry. But if you take that back to the temporary tre- treasure accumulation, I think we tend to accumulate and store stuff up for the future excessively sometimes because our faith and our hope are in the wrong things. Jesus says later on in this passage, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And what he's saying there again is it's not not sinful to have wealth. He's saying how you use that wealth and how you live your life needs to be for God first and foremost. Um, You've got to serve God as the master. So how do you overcome worry? Well, you overcome worry. To overcome worry requires faith, which is interesting why Jesus says right at the end of that passage I read before, you of little faith. Ties back into what Pitt preached on last week about what Jesus has to say to us through the Gospels. We need to have faith. We need to believe the Word of God to be true. We need to believe that Jesus is who He says He is, And that we as children of God are who he says we are. He reminds us that to walk in the light of the truth that this verse articulates. To trust that the Father will supply all of our needs. Requires that we have the faith that Jesus will come through for us. I remember as a a young teenager we used to sing this song. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He he sets his angels, or he puts his angels in charge over me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me, for me, for me. And we sing those songs sometimes quite glibly, but that is the truth. And that's what Jesus is reminding us here. He's saying, when we have this faith and this belief, we'll be released from worry, and we'll find greater freedom to use what God has given us for the extension of his kingdom. We'll live our lives differently when we have that faith. There's a clear and obvious freedom, I think, that leads us to being less concerned with the accumulation of temporary earthly treasures and shifts our focus onto storing up treasure in heaven when we have that faith and that belief. I think the other thing that Jesus is talking about here is he's saying the extent to which we are living our lives in the light of this truth is evidenced by what we do with what we have. And again, I don't just mean money and assets. I mean our time, our homes, our relationships. You know, I've been watching how some people here have lost jobs recently and how others in the church are using the connections that they have to open doors for those people, to get interviews for new work. You know, they're living their lives with a kingdom mindset saying, hey, you're my brother. I'm going to step in. I'm going to step into the gap and I'm going to open a door for you. I'm going to do what I can with what I have because we're in this kingdom journey and this kingdom adventure together. It's more than just financial. It's relational. It's it's looking for the person at the end of the service who's standing there on their own and going up and starting a conversation with them and making them feel welcome. It's looking after the lost, the lonely. It's caring for the sick. It's a complete adjustment of our lives. It's saying actually where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, where your heart is is evidenced by our actions. So what does it mean to store up eternal treasure? I think we'll What is interesting is as we start looking 
to live in these truths, Jesus recognizes as well that we might be fearful to step out in faith and to take the truth of this scripture to heart. Jesus is wonderful in this way. He, he just so quickly and so easily sees where we're at. And he's, he's, not, a, he's not sitting there with a, a whip that he's cracking to try and get us to do what he says. He's, he's empathizing. He's, he can see where the hearts of the disciples and the people are at. And he can see that they're, they're grappling with this and saying, but what, sell everything I've got and give it to the poor, then I'll have treasure in heaven or shift my priorities around so that work's no longer the most important thing, but actually building the kingdom of God is, wow, that's quite risky. Um, he recognizes that. You know, when you look in, he reminds us, and I read the scripture earlier, but in, in Luke chapter 12, 32 to 34, he says this, he says, do not be afraid. I love this, little flock. I don't know why it was little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So he's saying to us, God has given you the kingdom. It's yours. Belongs to me. Belongs to Rudy. Belongs to Mila. Belongs to Neil and Rebecca. Belongs to us. He's given it to us. He's not saying, well, he's opened the door to the kingdom for you, or he's invited you to come and share it with him. He's saying he's given it to you. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He's reminding us that the kingdom of heaven is eternal and has been given to us. He's reminding us that no matter what happens to us in this lifetime, no matter what bad luck or consequence kind of comes upon us, as Christians, as people who've put our faith in Jesus and who believe that he is who he says he is, the kingdom of heaven belongs to us and cannot be taken away from us cannot be taken away from us. And then, on top of all of this, he says, when you live your life with that kingdom mentality, when, you, when you've grasped that truth and you're putting it into action and you're taking steps forward down that journey and saying, Lord, I'm ordering my life around the gospel. I'm ordering my life around your kingdom. I'm changing my perspectives. I'm, I'm changing my priorities to focus on what it is you would have me do with my life and everything that you've given me in this lifetime. He says to us, you store up treasure for yourselves in heaven. I must confess, I've got no clue what that treasure is going to look like. The Bible talks a lot about rewards in heaven and talks a lot about treasures in heaven. If you don't believe me, just take out your little Bible app and search for the word treasure. I think I found it uh, 17 times in the New Testament, if I remember correctly. Um, I didn't do it on rewards, but do the search and you'll find lots of evidence um, of Jesus and the disciples talking about these things. But what I do know about those rewards and those treasures is if God made them and God's going to give them to me, they are going to be awesome. You know, everything God does is good. Every good and perfect thing comes from Him. If He says there's treasure and there's reward for me in heaven, it is going to be good. It's not going to be bad. It's not going to be disappointing. Um, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I was reminded of the story of... Um, Three, three people die and they go to heaven. Archbishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa um, is one of them. Mother Teresa. And then the third one is really the profession of your choice that you don't like. So, you know, if you don't like accountants, I'm an accountant. Let's make it an accountant. And uh, the three of them get to the pearly gates and St. Peter welcomes it in. 
And he says, the guys, welcome, I'm going to take you to your houses. And uh, uh, they go along and they stop at the first house and uh, they give the first one to Desmond Tutu. And it's a tiny little cottage on a hill. And at this stage, the accountant's looking around going like, wow, that's, that's not good. Um, if he's getting a tiny cottage, that's going to be uh, not, not going to be good for me. The next one, I come around the corner and there's another little tiny cottage and Mother Teresa goes in there. And um, he thinks, geez, this is really, really, really bad. And he gets around the next corner, and there's this huge mansion that St. Peter gives him the keys to. And the accountant looks at him and says, why on earth are you giving me the keys to this mansion? Surely it should go to um, Archbishop Tutu or Mother Teresa. And St. Peter looked at him and said, we've got loads of nuns and loads of bishops here, but we've only got one accountant. <laughs> you know, but it's about how you, it's, it's about your perspective, you know. God's not looking to punish us when we get to heaven. He's looking to reward us. He wants us to know that there are glorious things awaiting us when we get up, get to spend eternity with Him. So, what I find absolutely amazing is how easily I read that scripture and fail to put it into practice. You know, I believe God is who He says He is, but I get so easily distracted. So easily distracted. And I think that's the challenge. Jesus is trying to encourage us to spend time in the Word, to buy into, to hook into these messages. These are His words that were recorded. To hook into them and really believe them. Allow the Holy Spirit to take those words and make them truth in your heart. You know, He encourages us in, in Matthew 13, to 46, that the kingdom of God is no small thing. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The question this morning to us that Jesus is asking is, are you sold out for the kingdom of God this morning? You know, heaven and eternity are real. We sing lots of songs about heaven and eternity. You know, um, uh, 10,000 reasons. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my heart is, what's it? My heart is? There we go. Still my soul will sing your praise unending, 10,000 years and then forevermore. We sing songs like that because it's real. We believe it. But we sometimes live our lives forgetting about the reality of that. You know, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 16, for if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So he's saying to us, we've got to live our lives with the hope of what is to come and a belief and a confidence in what is to come. This week, um, uh, Rusty Erasmus, the coach of the Springbok rugby side who won the World Cup last year, released his, a video of his team talk before the game. And something really struck me in that team talk. He said this, he said, I want you to go out there and I want you to pick, 80, uh, I want you to pick 120 fights and win 80 of them in the game. He said, if you go out there and you pick 50 and you win 50, you're going to lose the game. He said, go out there and take some chances, take some risk. He said, and if you get it wrong, tomorrow evening, we'll sit down, we'll have a beer, and we'll talk about what went wrong, and we'll learn from it, and we'll, and we'll put that into practice in the next round. But the thing that struck me about that was he was telling them to be courageous. 
He's telling the side to take risks. Go out there and be all you can be for the Springbok rugby jersey. And what did they do? They won the World Cup. They might have lost it. You know, I don't know what uh, Eddie Jones said to England. Um, but it was just an interesting perspective. When I was thinking about this message, it, Jesus is saying that to us. He's saying, go out there and take some risk. Trust me. Hook into these promises and live your life in this way. You know, I think if, as Christians, our hope in Christ is both in this lifetime, but it is also in the lifetime to come. So if we hope in the lifetime to come, then my encouragement to all of us this morning is let's take the next step forward in faith together into that lifetime to come, but let's do it now. Let's live our lives today in the manner that is truly reflective of what we believe. It's not easy, but you know, that's faith. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And here we go, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's be people of faith. Let's be people who step out into the promises of God. Let's trust God for what he says he is, who he says he is, what he says he will do, and take the word to heart. And we don't want to be like the, the people who hear the word and kind of walk out and go like, what was that? I think a pastor of mine used to say, do you thread it through your eyeballs? You know, you want it to go into your ears and into your heart. You know, just to, to wrap up, I was also reminded when preparing for this about this, the story of the Magi when Jesus, Jesus was born. Um, in Matthew 2, verse 7 to 11, we read that Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He then sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went away and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, uh, sorry, after, uh, went in their way and followed the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And here we go. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi presented their earthly treasures as gifts to Jesus. Why? Because their hearts were after God. Their hearts were committed to the building of the kingdom of God in their lifetime and the lifetime to come. So to live our lives to the kingdom requires we do not worry, we do not fear, and that we do have faith and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that his promises are true, and that we are who he says we are. Do not be afraid. Your Father in heaven has given you the kingdom that cannot be taken away from us. So this morning, I want to encourage us all to make a decision to take a next step forward in this journey of what I've called eternal treasure accumulation. Laying down all that we are and all that we have as we journey with Jesus into building his kingdom in this lifetime and for the lifetime to come. It's not easy. It requires faith. Anyone lacks faith, just ask God. Yeah. We're going to do that right now, if you'd like to stand. If the worship team can come forward, please.